All right, you mutinous, disloyal, computerized half-breed. We'll see about you deserting my ship. The term half-breed is somewhat applicable, but computerized is inaccurate. A machine can be computerized, not a man. What makes you think you're a man? You're an overgrown jackrabbit, an elf with a hyperactive thyroid. Shit. I don't understand. Of course you don't understand. You don't have the brains to understand. All you have is printed circuits. Captain, if you'll excuse me. What can you expect from a simpering, devil-eared freak whose father was a computer and his mother an encyclopedia? My mother was a teacher. My father, an ambassador. Your father was a computer, like his son. An ambassador from a planet of traitors. The Vulcan never lived who had an ounce of integrity. Captain, please don't. You're a traitor from a race of traitors. Disloyal to the core, rotten like the rest of your subhuman race. And you've got the gall to make love to that girl. That's enough. Does she know what she's getting, Spock? A carcass full of memory banks who should be squatting in a mushroom instead of passing himself off as a man. You belong in a circus, Spock, not a starship. Right next to the dog-faced boy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and we are doing a... This is sort of a stretching a Charles Bronson podcast. Charles Bronson has something to do with it. Very, very little, but we will get to that. But I would like to introduce my first-time guest, another Scott, Mr. Scott Sabo. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So we are doing an episode of Star Trek, the original series, called This Side of Paradise, Season 1, Episode 24, so this came at the end of the first season. We'll link how Charles Bronson is connected to this podcast. What is your history with Star Trek, the original series, just Star Trek in general? Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, watching this on uh, TV as a kid, you know, just kind of uh, either while I was doing something else or, um, you know, kind of uh, on one of those things where, uh, you know, it wasn't my main thing, so I wasn't sitting down to watch Star Trek. But I do remember so many details about it, uh, you know, as a, from being a kid and then, you know, kind of having it on. And then uh, throughout the years also, you know, all the typical things that they go on with the, the uh, you know, the legend of Star Trek. I mean, it's it's been, you know, this original series and then all the movies that were created and all the spinoff uh, uh, shows that were done. I mean, it was always, it's pretty legendary, you know, and then not only that, but also the just the performances by most of the people, I mean, that are on there, most of the actors that are on there. I mean, okay, hello, Kirk number one. I mean, that's right there. There's <laughs> there's so much good stuff with William Shatner. I mean, it's just, you know, he, he's just endless for, for material. And then, uh, you know, you see a lot of stuff with Leonard Nimoy and, you know, all the things that went behind Leonard Nimoy with uh, In Search Of. And then these guys went out and made these albums, the music albums, which... Listen to those; they're pretty <laughs> fucked up. I mean, I'm pretty sure they were on acid when they were doing them, or shrooms. And I think you pretty much need to be on acid or shrooms to listen to Mr. Tambourine Man. Uh, you know, it's pretty bad. So, quite interesting. I have that album. <laughs> I have that album. I'm not surprised. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, there's so, good stuff there. Uh, I mean, there's lots of lots of information and good stuff there. And you know, it, I think uh, it's just a legendary part of our culture. So the episode we're looking at, as I said, from the first season, this side of Paradise, they are visiting this planet, Omicron something Omicron or other. Omicron SETI 3. Omicron SETI 3. And what happened was, four years ago, an agricultural mission went there to, to see if they could grow stuff on that planet. And evidently the planet has been bombarded with these certain kind of rays. When they left to go there, they didn't know much about those rays, but then they found out constant exposure to those rays will kill you. Yes. So the Enterprise is basically going there, they think, to clean up the corpses, basically. Yeah, Berthold rays. I mean, who, who, get- who's who's not aware and afraid of Berthold rays? You know, they're, they're, you know, I didn't look them up to see if uh, they were 
scientifically <laughs> correct because there were so many things that were, you know, Roddenberry had actually done that were pretty scientifically uh, uh, spot on. But I did not check for these. But yeah, these uh, vertical grays are definitely dangerous. And what Spock says is, you don't die instantly from them, so you could survive a week. That's what he says. You could survive a week on the planet, but then he goes, your t- your tissue would basically deteriorate from these rays. So they're expecting to go there and find nothing. They beam down, what is it, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Sulu, another, a blue shirt. Now you notice that something I noticed, and I don't know yes. if you noticed, no red no shirts. No red shirts, and I thought to myself, no red shirts, no action, baby. No one's going to die. <laughs> and that's right. And nobody died. No red shirts. Nobody died. Nobody died in this episode. And no red shirts were beamed down. So I thought, oh, there's no red shirts. So everybody's going to survive. As soon as I saw the landing party, I was like, oh, God, I better get some coffee. Because no one's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the weird thing that's going into our culture now. All the All the jokes and all the memes about red shirts. And when you look back, it's totally true. In the episode, uh, you know, these... These nameless red shirts just go down and get killed immediately. I can I can um, see people that were you know trying out to be on Star Trek. You know these these new people in Hollywood and coming home. Mom, Dad, I got a I got a job. I'm I'm an actor, and they're like, Oh, what are you doing? Well, I'm on Star Trek. It's the show about you know the future. Oh yeah, we've seen that. Well, what's your role? Well, I'm a red shirt, and just the look of disappointment at the dinner table. I mean, it'd be horrible. You're either a red shirt or a green chick that Kirk has sex <laughs> <Right>. with. Ew. <laughs> I'll take the red shirt, please. <laughs> they beam down and they think they're alone. Then all of a sudden they're greeted by the original party that is still there after four years in perfect health. So every so all the landing party is shocked. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting to see this. Uh, you know, the guy's name is Elias Sandoval. And he comes uh, kind of walking around the corner and... Uh, because I think Kirk, somebody, either Kirk or McCoy, or somebody says, there's no, you know, there shouldn't be anybody here. There's no signs of anybody. We're alone. And he comes walking around the corner and says something along the lines of, well, except for us, we're here. And, uh, you know, you get that dramatic music where they zoom in on the eyes of both parties so that they're, like, looking at each other. You know, it's like this shock and disbelief <laughs> look. So, kind of funny. One thing, I, I do, I do love the Star Trek music. It's Oh, yes. It really simulates tension when there's no tension, which is a great thing to do. Uh, because in the original Star Treks, it's not space battles. I mean, you get you get a little bit of that, but most of it is just the the human interaction or the the interaction between species and all that. And it's enhanced so much by the music in these episodes. Sure. A lot of I, kettle drums. I, I'm really yeah. The, Dun, dun, dun. Yes. <laughs> it's always, I'm like, oh no, that's when as a kid I would look up only based on the music because I knew something was interesting. You know, I was working with toys or something and I'd hear that background music and look up to see what it was. So that's when you knew. We get the opening credits. So this is the first season. So it's just William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. They were on, they were the only two actors on the credits in the first season. DeForest Kelly in seasons two and three, he gets a credit before in the opening credits. This is 1967 when this episode came out. How did the special effects hold up? The spaceship, the stars. What did you think about that? Saying that these are over oh, close to 60 yeah, years old. I always thought effects. it was pretty good. I mean, you know, you didn't see a lot of masking and stuff. You know, when you see the Enterprise during the opening credits or actually really any of the scenes of the Enterprise, you know, swinging by a planet. Um it was done pretty well, I thought. I mean, granted, you know, on the uh, you know the fronts of the engines, you have these blinking different colored lights, which are a little bit uh, okay, whatever. But uh, but outside of that, it was pretty good. I mean, even you know the beam down is always the same. You know, you get the uh, the transporter beam down and beam up effect, which is pretty good. And uh, because uh, you know, spoiler alert: there are no guns, no weapons used in this show. Really, uh, this episode. Uh, you know, there wasn't much to judge there, but I thought it was pretty done pretty well. So we didn't have anybody morphing. Uh, you know, there was none of that stuff there. So, but even, you know, the use of the lights on the instrumentation and the Enterprise, no matter where they were, was actually pretty well done. And, uh, 
you know, it was never too much and never too cheesy, but uh, I always thought it was pretty good, so it always added a little bit of interest. I, I agree. The, the one thing that I did chuckle and throughout the whole series is their communicators were Velcroed yes. to their belt, so whenever they take their communicator out, you could just yeah. hear the Velcro. And then they would tap it, and it's like, oh, that's plastic. It's it's like the communicator is like the weakest. Couldn't you have sound affected it, make not make it sound like plastic, and and exactly. like drown out the Velcro sound when they pull it off their exactly, belt? But yeah, I don't know. That's nitpicking yeah. right there. But if you watch later on in the episode, and we'll, we can talk about that a little bit. There are some things on the uh, you know the the over around uh, the the set which are pretty funny because it's like well they really kind of skimped on that, and uh, it, it's pretty interesting to see how some of those things hold up, but. Uh, but, you know, it's a TV show, and they were going where no man had gone before. So, you know, they did what they had to do. Kirk sends uh, Sulu and uh, the other biologist to st- just to look around. There's uh, there's uh, uh, two biologists and Sulu, and they're out looking around. And Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are sitting in this, looked like this frontier kitchen. And yeah. all, the, all of the people on the planet are dressed in these jumpsuits all the men are dressed in jumpsuits and all the women have like these these overalls on over a white shirt so they all they all brought the same clothing exactly uh to this and that's the thing with the future everybody dresses the exactly. same well it makes it in easier the future. i mean you don't have any you know you don't yeah. have to worry about you know people wearing the wrong uniform to school and stuff like that so there's no arguments about the dress code everybody just wear the same thing i mean it's almost like, you know, they wore white jumpsuits and Nike uh, t- uh, tennis shoes, and there's nothing wrong with that, I guess, unless you're waiting for the comet to come back and take you away. But anyway. So at this point in the episode, Jill Ireland walks in. And her what's her character's name? Her name, name? is Lila Colomi. Uh, Lila Colomi. And she's got a major lady boner for, for Spock. It's yes, like she, you, you walk in and she's just fixated on Spock. And she's like, oh, we met before. So she's, like, had a crush on him ever since they met. And Letter Nimoy as Spock is still stoic. I just think it's really, really funny. And I talked to you about this. It's like she's lit in a way. I don't know if you uh, remember Moonlighting, the TV show, but Sybil Shepherd was always lit with this filter or whatever. It made her look angelic. Yeah. And that's exactly yes. how Jill Ireland is lit in this. And so I'm thinking yeah. Moonlighting had to see this episode or got the idea from this episode or something like that. Something along that lines, yeah. Yes, you're right. And it's funny how they're making, like, you know, when Spock and and uh, Lila look at each other, like, they literally have, I think the scientific term for it is googly eyes, because they lock eyes, and it's like, hey, you know, it's uh, it's really kind of funny. But, you know, of course, she's got this, you know, uh, this look on her face, you know, the smile and googly eyes, and, you know, Spock is just basically Spock. Although he's locked eyes on her, there's no smile, there's no nothing. It's just Spock making googly eyes, which is kind of an odd thing to think about, but it is what it is. And Kirk's looking around like, hey, I get the women. What the (laughs) hell's going on here? Spock, I'm going to pull rank on you with this one. So, yes, so there's actually, uh, so there is a connection between the two. And what goes, what happens is McCoy examines all of the people on the planet. He says they're perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. No diseases. All of them between, I think he said between 24 and 59, all of them are in perfect, perfect physical condition. Men and And they've actually healed, which is an interesting thing. So, you know, these rays uh, have actually, there's something on the planet has actually caused these people to heal because some of them had some, there, there was some references to, to something in their medical records, but, you know, McCoy says, I can't find any any uh, traces of any of the things that are in their medical records. So it's literally like they've regenerated themselves, which is a pretty interesting. So, And there's a reference later yeah. on to that, too, where uh, Kirk brings that up with McCoy. We can talk about towards, you know, a little further in the episode. But, yeah, everybody's perfect. So uh, Lila takes Spock out. Uh, first of all, Lila and um, the no, leader, Sandoval, yeah, their yeah. leader, Elias, yeah. he's, do you want him to stay? And she's like, oh, he's going to stay. <laughs> so that, that's the first time we get that something is, something is not right. I want Spock and Spock is going to stay. So everybody's out exploring the planet. She takes Spock to these plants 
these plants just explode in his face. He starts writhing in pain, and she can't understand it. She's like, no, no, you shouldn't be in pain. The plants are the reason they're able to survive. The plants give them their health, but they also are sort of zombified with the plants where everything is perfect. So it, it's a trade-off. You know, you get, I guess, basically immortality, but you don't really think for yourself. Right. And Spock, who has kept all his emotions under wraps for his entire life, he fights it for a, a bit, but then he comes around. We were talking about this. We get hippie mm -hmm. Spock at one point, at, at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, he, uh, you know, you see the, the, the stoic Spock melt away, and then he has this weird little grin on his face, which, again, you don't see that very often on Spock. And then he's all just kind of giddy. I mean, I expected him to uh, pull out a, a flute and run around like a pan in the meadow, you know, playing because he's just changed his, um, his persona 100%, which is, which is really funny. What's kind of funny is, and when I was thinking about it, she roofied exactly. Spock. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she roofied a Vulcan to get exactly. into his pants. And at that point, you know, that they, I think they break away to that and they come back. And so here you see, you know, Spock and Lila, like, hanging out, laying, you know, laying back on the grass, looking up at the clouds. And uh, it's just kind of funny. It's uh, this transformation has happened. And... Uh, not something he would normally do, but he's, you know, pointing up at him. I see a dragon and I see, uh, you know, this and that. And it's, <laughs> and they're just having the best time of their life. That one looks like a dragon. I see the tail and dorsal spines. I've never seen a dragon. I have. On Berengaria 7. But I've never stopped to look at clouds before. Or rainbows. You know, I can tell you exactly why one appears in the sky. But considering its beauty has always been out of the question. Not here. What did you want? Spock, is that you? Yes, Captain. What did you want? Where are you? I don't believe I want to tell you. Uh, Spock, I don't know what you think you're doing, but this is an order. Report back to me at the settlement in 10 minutes. We're evacuating all colonists to Starbase 27. No, I don't think so. You don't think so what? I don't think so, sir. Spock, report to me immediately. Spock, acknowledge. Spock. The frequency is open, but he doesn't answer. That didn't sound at all like Spock, Jim. No. I thought you said you might like him if you mellowed a little. I didn't say that. You said that. I Not exactly. I'm sure that was a good time for Leonard Nimoy, for him to break out and be able to do something other than be logical. I'm sure this was a fun episode for him yeah. to shoot, being able to do something different with that yeah, character. Sure. Now, so this is where we'll take, a, we'll take a break from the plot. This is why it's a Charles Bronson. Well, Jill Ireland, of course, became Charles Bronson's wife. But the reason we're doing this for the Charles Bronson podcast is, according to Leonard Nimoy, Charles Bronson was on the set almost every day during this filming. Leonard Nimoy said it was a bit unnerving having to do, you know, not love scenes, but, you know, do these intimate scenes with Jill Ireland with Charles Bronson standing off into the distance just holding a, uh, wearing a black leather jacket and wearing a... Uh know one of those uh, black knit sailor caps and probably had a 45 or a 357 in his uh, shoulder holster yeah. you know but just hanging out observing no no pressure no pressure so at this point 
Jill Ireland was still married to David mm-hmm. McKellen. And at that point, he was on television in The Man from Uncle, and he and he eventually became Ducky on NCIS. So she was married to him at this time. However, she started an affair with Charles Bronson. So Bronson is on the set of Star Trek with another man's wife watching his girlfriend make out with Leonard Nimoy. There's a you can't make this shit up. So this is why this is part. Of, this is why this is part of the Charles Bronson. So Charles Bronson was on set watching another man's wife, who he is having an affair with, having an affair with a Vulcan. Yeah, there's a website out there for everything, and I'm pretty sure this made it on its own website. <laughs> kind of strange, but uh, but yeah, it is interesting. And uh, so as I, you know, knowing this history, as I'm looking at her, I'm like, yeah. So this is Charles Bronson's uh, type. Well, that's interesting, you know. Then I had that stuck in my head. So then I was like, I wonder who she'd <laughs> pick in real life. Would she pick Spock or would she pick Charles Bronson? Who knows? So at this point, the landing party is slowly getting taken over by the by the sport. One of the landing party gets taken over and then he takes the plants to mm-hmm. McCoy and McCoy gets sprayed yeah. in the face. Oh, one thing to note, though, is back um, in the Meadows scene, so that's the point where we also see that Spock has now changed into the Green Jumper, too. So now he's wearing the same clothing that uh, all of the colonists are, so he's completely transformed from being our old Spock to being this cloud, you know, cloud, uh, cloud-waving, in-love uh, hippie guy with uh, now these Green Jumpers on, too, so... Very interesting that he's made that transformation, which I thought was actually a pretty good visual, you know, kind of a cue that he's completely taken over at this point. So if they all came down with their own clothing, I guess they'd have extra, because I'm like, if they all came down with their own clothing and nobody has died, where'd they get the extra jumpsuit? But I guess you're going to have a spare jumpsuit lying around. Well, I mean, somewhere. everybody should. I'm sure, you know, you have some. I've got a few yeah. upstairs, so. The funny thing is, and this is just something I've, Another tangent is, in real life, Leonard Nimoy was about 6'1", and they say that William Shatner is 5'10", <laughs> and I think they're being a little generous with 5'10". In certain scenes, when they're having a conversation, they're the same height. So so obviously, either Shatner's on an apple box, or he's wearing, you know, he's wearing lifts in his shoes. But I always found that interesting is, I think in real life, Shatner is, is around 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, but whenever he's in the same scene with Leonard Nimoy, who's over six feet, it's like, oh, they're the same height. It was, I, I, that, and stuff like that just makes me laugh when I, when I yeah. see it. Kirk eventually finds Spock with Jill Ireland, and Sulu and another landing party are with him. And Spock is frolicking. He's hanging from a tree, mm-hmm. and, he's like, and he keeps calling him Jim. Jim! Instead of Captain. And he's all hippified, and and Kirk's getting angry. And he tells Sulu and this other guy to arrest Spock. And Spock's like, before you arrest me, take a look at these plants. And here was a weird scene. So Spock takes Kirk, Sulu, and the other landing party to the plants. And they all get sprayed. And Sulu and the other landing party, they're affected, but Kirk isn't. Did he not get a full blast in the face? Which I know sounds Well, wrong, it is Sulu. But, I mean, I'm sure it's not the first, and it, apparently, historically, it won't be the last. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> uh, why was Kirk not affected yeah, Kirk at Kirk was moment? further back, so really the, the, the other two were closer to the, um, closer to the plants, and then Kirk was a little bit, probably one or two steps back behind them, so... When the spores, you know, shoot up and, and hit them, you literally see, I don't know what they used, like fuzz off pipe cleaners or styrofoam or shaving cream. I'm not sure what they used, but you actually see it go up in the air and kind of land on the people. So it's visibly there, pretty good sized chunks. And so you don't see any actually hit Kirk. And I think that's how Kirk kind of avoided um, getting impacted or affected by the spores. So, And while this is happening, what what McCoy has done, McCoy is affected. When McCoy gets affected, he goes full Southern what Gentleman. What the hell? I was like, what? Where'd that come from? He has beamed some of these plants up to the Enterprise. The plants have affected, through the air vents, have affected everybody on the Enterprise. 
so now, because Kirk beams back up, and he asks Uhura to contact Starfleet, and she's like, I can't, I've broken yeah. the radio. Yeah, she shorted out everything and except for, like, the well, the short-term, or the shortwave comms, where they could only reach the planet's surface, so. And Kirk walks through the Enterprise, and he sees all these people in line. So basically, everybody's just beaming down yes. to the planet. The, you know, he tells the guy, uh, get back to your posts, and the guy's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, man. And Kirk says, this is mutiny, mister. And the guy <laughs> says, yes, it is. He has, like, the funniest look on his face, but, uh, <laughs> oh, well, it is what it is. Scotty is not in this nope. episode, but Kirk gets on the comm and, and asks yeah. for Scotty. So Scotty is mentioned yeah. in this episode, but he is not in this yeah. episode. And this is before Chekhov. Chekhov didn't come in until the second season. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, too, getting back to the McCoy thing, so, because... You know, like you said, McCoy has gone into this full Southern drawl thing, and he's just kind of being goofy. But he doesn't refer to, very similar to how Spock just keeps referring to Kirk as Jim. McCoy is calling Kirk Jim Boy, which is just hilarious, and walking around with a piece of grass sticking out of his teeth. And, of course, what's he making? He's making mint juleps. A mint julep. (laughs) A Georgia I thought mint julep yeah, was Kentucky, right. but he's making a Georgian yeah, mint, mint julep. julep. But uh, but since he's affected now too, um, you know, with the spores, with something rejuvenating these people, McCoy uh, starts getting his tonsils back. I think is what Kirk had said at one point. Uh, you know, you're growing your tonsils back because he's affected by the spores and it's making everybody whole again. Well, which I thought was interesting. So there's a little trivia for you that uh, McCoy has his tonsils removed. So. Kirk beams back down. The leader and Spock are having tea. And Kirk comes busting in. He's like, what's happening here, mister? And the one thing I liked about, even though Spock's a hippie, he hasn't lost his intelligence. Now he's just a hippie, but he still has that Vulcan intelligence. And he's explaining to Jim what the spores do, how the spores affect them. And Kirk, of course, not being affected, it's like, okay, but that just means you're basically their slaves. You're not doing anything. You're just existing. You're not progressing. And that's not how humans should live. And, of course, being affected, they don't see it that way. So they're at a stalemate at this point. And Kirk is alone at this point because I think everybody has been affected but him. He's back on the ship, too. He goes back to the ship, right? He does go back to the ship, which I because there must have been somebody at the ship, because he mentions earlier, once everybody beams down, there's no way to get back up to the ship. Somebody must have beamed him up and then immediately beamed down to the surface because we he's back up in the ship and now he's alone in the ship. We get a classic Shatner captain's log where he's just all alone on the bridge. Captain's log, stardate 3417.7. Except for myself, all crew personnel are transported to the surface of the planet. Mutinied. Lieutenant Uhura has effectively sabotaged the communication station. I can only contact the surface of the planet. Ship can be maintained in orbit for several months, but even with automatic controls, I cannot pilot her alone. In effect, I am marooned here. This ship really is. How quiet. I don't know how to get my crew back. How to counteract the effect of the spores. I don't know what I can offer against paradise. A nice, it's got a nice atmosphere to it. <laughs> It, I think it's shot nice. You get a nice mm-hmm. 360 where it's the camera's just going around the bridge and nobody's on there and it stops yeah. on his face. And, of course, Shatner, you know, Shatner being Shatner at that point. You, you yes. just love that. I was waiting for him to break out in some song, you know. 
all by myself. But he, uh, but that they, I was reading that that shot of the bridge, which was completely empty, was actually used um, as a still you know, later on in, I think, Star Trek Next Generation for the uh, background used with the green screen, I think it was, for on the holodeck. Um, because they didn't want to have to rebuild everything. So they actually used that shot of the bridge with nobody on it, nothing there as the background for the holodeck, which I thought was pretty interesting. So, Yes, and that episode of Next Generation had Scotty in it. So, so technically, Scotty is in this episode. He's just in this episode in the future in Next Generation. See how it all comes together? It all comes together. pretty hard there. (laughs) I am reaching. Hey, look, this is a Charles Bronson podcast where he was just on set. He was just on set threatening Leonard Nimoy with his eyes. So there is a plant left on the bridge, and it sprays Kirk. And now Kirk is affected. And at first I thought, because he's affected and he calls Spock, he's like, I'm ready to come down. And I thought he might have been faking, but he he wasn't. He was really affected by the spores. He's like, I'm going to come down. I'm going to pack a few things. <laughs> and he he packs this. I rem- My parents had that suit. It's Samsonite. The, he packs this 19... 19- it's, it's a Samsonite. It's... It's a it's a suitcase of exactly. the time of the of the late the late sixties because I remember my parents I remember my parents had a suitcase just I'm like that one. It wasn't like and, avocado green or heather yellow, you know, one of those nice colors from uh, from the back in that time. So because those seem to be the primary colors yeah. of everything from suitcases to jumpers to you know luggage to. Uh, refrigerators and uh, stoves and all that. They use the same color schemes for everything, it seemed like. And while he's packing, he finds this metal. At the moment, it triggers something in him. And this is what I think. I like to think that that metal is the metal he got for beating the oh, Kobayashi Maru test. That's what I'm thinking. That's what, it's good. That's what that metal is in my head. So, I was wondering about that. I was like... I was trying to look at it. I was like, what is that? Is that like a, you know, some sort of metal? But that could be what it is. Uh, but then he gets to the transporter room. He's about to beam down, but then he, he goes oh, full Shatner. He's like, I no! Do it! No. And, and, and that kills the spores. And he says, he literally says, like, it was like kind of a drawn out thing. He's like, uh, I can't leave. And, uh, you know, he did, it's just, like, typical William Shatner is so drawn out. It's just amazing. So he realizes that anger kills the spores. And I thought I, it, it was drawn out, but I thought I thought it could have been a, a little bit bigger just to show that he's no longer affected mm. by the spores. It was just like, I can't do it. Oh, hey, exactly. I'm, I'm back. Then he's like, okay, well, now I'm going to beam up Spock and make him angry. But Spock is... A Vulcan, so he's got superhuman strength, so he may <laughs> kill me. My thought is, why not beam up McCoy, who's not a superhuman, get him back, and then, unless, I guess he needed Spock with his master plan to convert mm-hmm. everybody. The way I look at I'm, I'm sure there was somebody else on that ship who could have done that job besides Spock. I mean, I know why, I know why they beamed up Spock for the dramatic purposes, but it was just... Exactly. Well, I mean, not to, you know, pull a side step here, but it could be going back to the, uh, I remember we talked about that uh, audio compilation of all the little pieces of Star Trek. If you look it up on YouTube, it's called Love Trek, which is uh, the audio compilation of so many clips between uh, Kirk and, uh, and Spock, which turns out being some sort of erotic tryst that they take, so... You know, maybe maybe Kirk wanted to go back and get a little bit of you know alone time on the uh, on the Enterprise with Spock before he fixed everything. So, I, I had to re I had to re listen to that just a little bit, and my wife was sitting listening to it too <laughs> because she was in the room and she's like, "That is one of the most twisted things I've ever heard." I'm like, "But it's amazing that it flows so well." And actually, you know, if people haven't listened to it, it's definitely worth listening to. Uh, apparently, not with you know your priest or your parents. Um, 
But yeah, it's called uh, Love Track on uh, YouTube. And some of the, I recognize that some of the clips used for that were actually taken out of this episode. But uh, anyway, I digress. So That's fine. No, that's what we're here for. We're digressing. He beams Spock up, and then he just... He just starts throwing all of these slurs at Spock when he calls him a half-breed. You devil-eared uh, <laughs> freak. You elf. You elf yeah. with a hyperactive thyroid. You should be sitting on a mushroom someplace instead of wooing yeah. Charles Bronson's woman. But you see Spock slowly losing mm. his cool. And then we get a hilarious oh. fight scene. It's horrible. First of all, it's obvious that it's not uh, Shatner and Nimoy. From the notes that I've read is they wanted to shoot it in widescreen to cover up the stuntmen, but it was too small. The stunts that they did, it's like you and I were a couple of middle-aged guys. I think we could have done those stunts. (laughs) With no, with with no, we could have pulled that off with no stuntmen. And this was, they were in their 30s. Like, they're, they're early to mid-30s, so they're still in their prime. It was like, there was no reason for stuntmen. It was not there's like no they lava. were doing... Jump the, over you know, the lava. These... No, there's no lava. No. It's like, it's a carpeted set, for Pete's sake, or whatever. And then there's a couple of scenes where Spock punches the wall, and it's like, oh, that's That's the cardboard. yellow, yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> they kind of, you know, he hits this this panel. I don't know, there were like three of these yellow panels... Look like they should have been displays. I don't know what the purpose was, mood lighting. But when he hits it, literally you see the cardboard or plastic, thin plastic, just kind of buckle underneath it. But it's not like he hit it fast. So it was pretty uh, pretty funny. But, you know, in, in the same form of all the Star Treks, it was pretty dramatic, you know, fighting. So there's a lot of overarching swings <laughs> where I'm like, if you really swung that fast, you're telescoping that, you know, tell her, uh, uh, you know what I mean? You're, people would be able to see it so easily. So, yeah, it was pretty funny. The standard Kirk move where he leaves his whole body open for a shot where he raises his hands over his head yeah. and comes down. It's that like... was pretty classic stuff. And there's a pipe and, that somehow and, he swings out. He's using a pipe to defend himself, and Spock is able to very easily crush that pipe with his you know Vulcan strength. So, And to me, what the funniest part, so obviously there's a stuntman made up to look like Spock, but from the back, it looks like Frankenstein <laughs> because the it's just like this square wig sitting exactly. on his head. It looks exactly. ridiculous. It's like they took a pail and cut a portion of it out, spray painted it black, and stuck it on the guy's head and said, "This should work. This is a dangerous. You know what? Da- that is exactly and what being it a looks dangerous like stunt. Stuff. You know, you got to make sure because they wouldn't let the stars do it. So <laughs> put this helmet on. This should help you just in case. You know, the stuntmen are like, we're getting paid exactly. to do this. Wait, okay. am I wearing a red shirt or not? That's like, all I need to know. They're like, last last week I was on a James Bond movie, jumping out of an airplane. I can do this. They fight. Eventually, Spock snaps out of it right before he crushes Kirk's head with a so, step ladder. So close, or something yeah. Like that. Step ladder, or which I don't know why they had that on there. Maybe that was uh, when they had their dialogue; they could be at the same height. Yes, and then they have their tender moment. See, also uh, uh, the audio I was talking about earlier. <laughs> anyway, Kirk has this plan where if we can send down this audio wave, it will stimulate anger, and it should snap everybody. Oh no! Before that, uh, Jill Ireland beams up. Spock has to confront her, and she realizes that because Spock has now changed back into yeah. his uniform. So once again, we know the change is complete again in reverse. He's back to being Spock because he's out of the jumpsuit in his Starfleet uniform. He has to tell her, and she's brokenhearted. And she throws herself at him <laughs> once again, but it's so funny. She's so dramatic. I said that six years ago, and I can't seem to stop repeating myself. On earth, you couldn't give anything of yourself. Couldn't even put your arms around me. We couldn't have anything together there. We couldn't have anything together anyplace else. But we're happy here. I I can't lose you now, Mr. Spock. I can't. I have a responsibility to this ship, to that man on the bridge. I am what I am, Layla. And 
If there are self-made purgatories, then we all have to live in them. Mine can be no worse than someone else's. I have lost you, haven't I? Not only you. I've lost all of it. The spores. I've lost them too. The captain discovered that strong emotions and needs destroy the spore influence. And this is for my good? Do you mind if I say I still love you? Told me if you had another name, Mr. Spock. You couldn't pronounce it. And she actually tells him, I think, I love you, you know, and uh, tears in her eyes, and, you know, good old Spock just stands there with that look on his face, and he didn't even raise an eyebrow, literally, at this. You know, he just kind of stood there. Literally, and Let yeah. her do her thing, so. I think this is the first time we realize she asks him, does he have a first name? And he says, you couldn't exactly. pronounce it. So I think this is the first time in Star Trek lore we find out that Spock has a first name. We just never find out what it is. Interesting. Very interesting. Then they set up this audio device, which you're going to shoot down from the ship, which is going to get everybody angry and snap everybody out, yep. which happens. So we cut down to the planet. Sulu and another co-worker, they get in a fight. And then the leader and McCoy get in a fight. And then they all, once they all almost beat each other up, they're like, oh, we've wasted our lives yeah. here. <laughs> so. yeah. But then the colonists also come out of it, which I don't remember seeing the crew fighting with the colonists. So I'm kind of curious as to how... Because the original idea was to take this audio and put it through the communicators. So kind of use the communicators like little, you know, maybe it maybe it played out on, maybe they had like a speaker option on there. They could put it on speaker and play it. But uh, yeah, somehow even the colonists all kind of snap out of it, which was interesting. They report in, you know, we're all going to beam up and leave the planet. So we get the end scene once again between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And they talk about being thrown out of paradise. And Kirk is like, no. This time, we walked out of paradise. <laughs> yes. And what does Spock say at the end? Oh, it was the first time I was ever happy. Exactly. It's, like, it's kind of a depressing it ending is. for him. But yes, for the first time in my life, I was happy. Oh! Yeah. Jeez, Opeats. But it was, it was a good episode, though. And yeah. that was it. It is a good episode, but after Jill Ireland throws herself at Spock, she's we exactly. don't see her again. It's like, that's her time in the episode. It's... Yep, she's been excommunicated. I don't know what it is. Because even Sandoval says, uh, you know, he realizes, oh, that's what it was, is that McCoy and Sandoval actually go at it. Um, McCoy is snapped out. Right. Sandoval comes over, so they start fighting, and uh, which is kind of funny. It's, uh, it's like Sandoval fighting, I don't know, uh, something pretty wimpy, like Sandoval fighting Pee Wee Herman, because McCoy's not like, a, you know, he's not a scrapper, although... Sometimes it seems like he's had to grab some patients that were jumping up or whatever. But uh, yeah, no, no stuntmen in the, no stuntmen well, in that. You know, That's was he even in the credits? Yeah, I don't think he was in the credits at that point, so he's not really protected. That's right. It's like you only get a stuntman if you appear exactly. in the opening credits. If you're if you're in the back, if you're at the credits at the end of the show, exactly. you're on your you own. You know what? We'll work that um, into your contract. Well, I want my name in the credits, and I want a stuntman. Well, obviously, if your name are in the credits, <laughs> you're going to get a stuntman. Speaking of credits, at the end, I found this interesting. Is so the credits at the end of the episode is guest star Jill Ireland, a special guest star Frank Overton, and then it had. DeForest Kelly as hmm. McCoy. But then they have a list of all the other. One of the crewmen gets his name above George Decay and Uhura. So this this unknown extra who was in one episode, his name comes before Sulu and Uhura. And this is like 
almost at the end of season one. I, so I found that interesting watching it. Michelle Nichols uh, oh, yeah, is a hero. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it looks like this uh, Frank Frank Nichols. It's kind of funny if you look him up on IMDb. They start off with perpetually serious looking, which, <laughs> okay, that's a nice way to be, uh, you know, be described. So that's pretty good as opposed to like ridiculously, you know, cartoon looking. So now the sad thing is he died before this hmm. episode came out. Yeah. He died of a heart attack, like a, like a couple of months before this came out. Like in memorandum at the end, I didn't see that in there or this must no. be before that. No, he just got very special. I guess that's the very special guest star. That that was his mem- gotcha. memorandum. But yeah, he was like 49. Everybody looked older in the 60s yes. and 70s. Everybody played older. Because those unfiltered um. cigarettes and those uh, those rays, you know, they weren't doing as good of a job as they thought. Yes. We had no sunblock back then, so I think maybe it was between unfiltered cigarettes and no sunblock. And so that's the episode. This Side of Paradise, Season 1, Episode 24. Like I said, a very tenuous Charles Bronson connection. So what did you think of Jill Ireland's performance in this episode? It was, I thought it was interesting. I mean, she played the role pretty well, but the dialogue, I think, you know, her dialogue really went along with kind of the dialogue from the from the rest of the colonists. I mean, even Sandoval, you know, they it wasn't like they rambled at all. They were very precise, uh, very short. Uh, short structured sentences and stuff like that. So I think she played along pretty well. I mean, you don't hear a lot. The really the only two people outside the Enterprise crew that speak are just those two. So uh, you know, the Sandoval speaks, and then uh, and then uh, Layla speaks. That's the only two that really seem to speak in there. But the, I thought it was interesting. I do love the lighting. I mean, come on, that you know, you got to have that little soft filtering, little lighting worked out pretty well. But uh, it just, uh, you know, it's. I think it's pretty par for the course for uh, for Star Trek. You know, I thought it was pretty good. So, I mean, you know, there's a little stress. So you like the episode? You like the episode on a yeah, whole? Yeah, there's probably a little stress with you know Chuck standing over on the side, you know, watching everything. So <laughs> I would be intimidated by Charles Bronson standing over on the side watching me. And heck, I wasn't even you know making googly eyes with him. So it'd be a little. Uh, little stressful i think it would have been hilarious if char if charles bronson was on one side and her, her current husband at the time david oh, mccullough was on another side and then leonard nimoy's in the middle oh man what exactly. am i going to do this is an illogical situation i like the episode i like the fact that leonard nimoy was able to stretch his wings to break out of the spock persona like i said i'm sure that was fun for him i'm sure he enjoyed it originally it was supposed to be sulu who was the right. love interest and the writers changed it to Spock, which I think was a, a a nice change. To see the change in Spock to let Leonard Nimoy stretch his wings, I, I thought that was a nice change. I'm sure Sulu didn't like it because that took away his time in the oh, show. I thought when you it, it, it I thought when you said he was supposed to be the the love interest, I thought you meant he was taking place of Jill Ireland. I was like, wait a minute, that'd be a little weird. <laughs> Kirk would be like, all right, enough of this bullshit. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I look at the costuming, too. I, even the costumes are just so classic. You know, the Star Trek costumes, those are always something that really kind of stuck with me, especially, you know, the original Star Trek. The, the costuming was, even from the crew uniforms, you know, it was just pretty uh, pretty funny. Well, there's a lot of nylon and polyester there. It seemed like, ooh, don't get them around a flame. They'd go right up. But uh, pretty interesting stuff. Speaking of uniforms, the scene where Uhura leaves the bridge, I was like, that is a short, short skirt. <laughs> I might have to go back and rewatch that. I didn't catch that. <laughs> Scott, I know you run, you're, you're a computer guy, but I know you have a side hustle. You have your Lego your Lego store. So why don't you promote your Lego store on here Yeah, right so uh, thanks for mentioning that. Uh, so I've got a uh, Lego store that I run as a side business. Um, so it's called sabobrick.com. Pretty original naming. But uh, it's basically if you need Legos, minifigures, whatever uh, you need for all your Lego creations, I've got them. I don't really sell sets, but I do sell parts, uh, you know, as many parts as you could possibly need. If I got them, they're yours. So if uh, you check out sabobrick.com, S-A-B-O-B-R-I-C-K.com, come on over. And uh, if you mention that you... uh, heard about it on the podcast 
then uh, I, I'll give you a discount. So, because uh, we like to, now I'm trying to associate Charles Bronson with my Lego store. So there's the tie-in. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a it's a pretty interesting business yeah. and uh, I like doing it and I uh, like to make people happy and uh, ship them Legos and everybody, everybody loves Legos except for the parents that have to step on them. Do you have any Star Trek Legos? Uh, you know, they never did Star Trek Legos, which is unfortunate. I But I do oh. have... I didn't know that. We've got I did Star not know Wars, that. which is often <clears throat> confused with Star Trek, but um, but we do have some uh, Christmas elves, which you know they got pointy ears. Spock has pointy ears. You know, you pointy eared freak. Um, so yeah, there's uh, that's about as close <laughs> as we get though. But yeah, unfortunately, the, they never made any Star Trek Legos. So well, that's it, Scott. I want to thank you for doing this, and we'll see her- everybody here next time on the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash scottwhite and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. This should help people find the podcast when they're searching. Uh, No matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Well, Jim, I've just examined the last of the columns. They're all in absolutely perfect Perfect help. A fringe benefit left over by the sports. Good. Well, that's the second time man's been thrown out of paradise. No, no. This time we walked out on our own. Maybe we weren't meant for paradise. Maybe we were meant to fight our way through. Struggle. Claw our way up. Scratch for every inch of the way. Maybe we can't stroll to the music of the lute. We must march to the sound of drums. Poetry, Captain. Non-regulation. We haven't heard much from you about Omicron Seti III, Mr. Spock. I have little to say about it, Captain. Except that for the first time in my life, I was happy. has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast.